0: Listening to the Therapy and D podcast—just two nerdy nurses talking about mental health and Dungeons and Dragons. This week, we talk about Session Zero: New Beginnings. Welcome, everybody! Greetings and salutations, and happy Monday! We hope you had a great weekend. This is the very first episode of the Therapy and D podcast. We hope you're as excited to listen to this as we are to record this. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about doing this for a while and here we are. It's the first episode. My name's Zach. I'm a registered nurse. I live in the Midwest and I absolutely have a fascination and a love for all things Dungeons and Dragons.
1: I'm Jenna. I am also in the Midwest. I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, So I work outpatient with adolescents all the way through adults with a wide variety of mental illnesses. And I love all things that I would say you'd call geek, but I am learning gaming. So I'd call myself a novice gamer right now, but Zach's doing what he can to fix that. Yeah.
0: I mean, for a novice gamer, I think you do pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of people, um, when they get into their first game, are very reluctant or afraid of how to go about being the character that they had envisioned uh, when they had done their character creation. But I think having your background and being able to talk to tons of different people about deep subjects maybe breaks the ice a little bit for you.
1: I think it makes all the difference in the world. I tried to get into gaming, you know, my whole family is a geek family, so they've been gaming forever and tried to get me into it well before I got into psych nursing. And that was exactly what it was like. I just didn't know what to do. You know, they tell me, okay, you're an assassin. So we walk into an inn and someone says, who are you? And I'm like, um, I'm an assassin. <laughs> like, I don't know how to communicate. So it's definitely better this time around.
0: So I'm not going to go deep into, like, our story of how we met. That'll be for another day, which, I mean, I think our our introduction story is actually pretty special and pretty cool. But I will talk a little bit in each episode about, like, our game and stuff. So today we played. Normally we play, like, every other Friday. I took a big time off because I had myself a little... uh, mental i don't want to say breakdown but i had some times where i just needed to step away and kind of like refocus and recenter myself but we got back into playing this weekend we were supposed to play last night but jenna was almost dead from um (laughs) donating plasma so she had to like take a breather but today we got together and and played so i i hope you're doing well and better you seem to be doing better um but last night you you. looked you looked like the banshee that you fought today
1: Uh, Uh, i felt like it (laughs)
0: So a little bit about our game. We play with uh, my wife and people from your family. Um, Mm -hmm. We started at, like, level one, and currently uh, we are exploring a big city um, and attempting to get into what's called the Necropolis. And it is a huge underground um, cemetery catacombs area that the, the party is attempting to find a necromancer And rid the world of his evil doings. But the session we had before we took the big long break, everybody almost died to a Banshee. Um, So it kind of stopped on a cliffhanger. And when we came back, we had to kind of reminisce of how we even got there and what all happened. And um, so it was Banshee Part 2. And I would have to say it was pretty interesting today. Oh, definitely. Definitely. We took the good part of four hours developing a plan to attack said Banshee, which you guys, I'm going to, like, from a a DM standpoint, you could have handled it no problem. You just got so unlucky the first time that uh, you all failed your constitution saves, but two of you. Um, It was a very low constitution save. It's like 13. And we'll get into, like, what saves are and stuff when we explain parts of the game. But um, we're just going to nerd out really, really quick in the beginning here. Um, and you all just got knocked unconscious and managed to get away. Thank the heavens that Banshees only get a whale once a day. But uh, yeah, it took a lot of time and a lot of planning, group planning to learn about what Banshees are and how to uh, better come across this. I think you guys did. I I don't care how long it took. I just hope that everybody had fun trying to find out how to best approach the problem.
1: Absolutely. We had a blast. I think, you know, from the time that you've spent with us i think it's safe to say i come from a family of anxious overthinkers so when we all get together there's no going in something without figuring out everything ahead of time so yeah your your scenarios may take a little longer than you had planned
0: yeah i know tell me about it but that's one of the things i really like about being a dungeon master a lot of people will um kind of you you have different experiences when you play with different people and i i I love playing with different people but there's been times when i've played where it is just uh there's this term that's in dungeons dragons called railroading where the dungeon master will just you know throw out a breadcrumb on a hook and once he's got you landed or she or they have you landed they will pull you completely without any you know chance to look left or right where do we go you're on this storyline you're on this one way track and there's no changing and what i really like about our group is is it is a collective storytelling adventure so everybody gets a say and they're all helping build the world and build something so it's something we have stock in and want to see come to fruition and create it's not just something that i have just you know read out of a book or created you know um off the top of my head everybody puts in their own bit of feedback. We talk between sessions about what their characters want to do. They keep secrets from each other. Um it's very cool and I've yet to play a game like this and that's why like I'm glad I, I was able to come back and pick up and not just, you know, burn that bridge like I said when I talked to you before, because um it is it's it's actually a very special game and I hope that we can continue to play it for a long time.
1: Absolutely I would love to.
0: But anyway, you guys killed the banshee. Everybody leveled up to level five. And, uh, next time we get together and play, hopefully we can actually go into the necropolis and boy, if you overthought the banshee, the necropolis is going to be pretty fun, but because you guys haven't been into a dungeon yet, like you haven't done an actual, what's called a dungeon crawl where you go into like a, you know, an underground place and, and explore. So that should be really fun.
1: Yeah, not since not since that giant worm with the gemstones.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't even call it a dungeon. You just, like with the nothing. Nah, yeah. it's a
1: cave. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it was just like it. It should be fun, and it'll take a couple sessions to get through, which is good. And hopefully you can. I mean, normally you can't level in a dungeon, so you'll probably be fifth level for a while. But it should be fun. But now you know after we you know talked about our our goofy fun we had this weekend, we're going to get into the the meat and potatoes of what this podcast is all about. Um, and our first topic that we're talking about is something that's called a Session Zero. Um, so in Dungeons & Dragons, in any kind of tabletop RPG game where you're, you're playing something that's kind of open world like this, that the rules aren't... It's not just a, a standard board game where you follow the rules, even though, you know, some people play board games and don't follow the rules. I've never met a single person who plays Monopoly correctly. Um, but in games like this, a Session Zero is what exists with the group, whether it's the, you know, uh, the party and the Dungeon Master or whatever, where you've already decided that, you know, there's, you're going to play and before you actually sit down to play. It's kind of like laying the ground rules. And there is a big um, parallel between the concepts of setting up a Session Zero and actually uh, getting yourself set up with good mental health care with therapy. It's it's not something you're going to think about in an acute phase of um, like a a mental health crisis, but it's something to think about like when you realize that something's not quite right in my life, uh, in my head, and I need to do something about it. So it's kind of like the planning before you actually go in. So
1: much like anything else in your life, the more you are able to put in. To that planning step, the better the process is gonna go for you as a whole.
0: Right. So, like when it comes to to therapy alone, I know from years of experience and not just working, but dealing with it and coping with it myself, there are so many different types of therapies out there and things you can think about like prior to going in of what's gonna be best and more conducive to your overall mental health. So, like I know I've had a couple times when I've spoken with Uh, female therapist, and that just not anything against them. I just could not open up enough with them. So that may be uh, a barrier for you uh, when it comes to finding who you need to talk to. It might not be, but you may be able to talk to whomever. But that was one that was big for me.
1: Probably the most important thing when you are establishing care with a new therapist or a new provider is going to be finding somebody who matches you, all right? So it's not just about rapport or, you know, how you guys click in that that first session, that first conversation, but it's also finding someone who kind of matches you, whether that be spiritually or, um, you know, if you're wanting someone who specializes in geek therapy, we got that too. Um, If you're looking for somebody who specializes in trauma, Someone who is going to be able to hone in on what it is that you are looking for help with and meet you where you are in the process, as opposed to you having to kind of stretch out to jump into someone else's system. So, for instance, if you were seeking help and you found a provider who was really into spirituality and energies and Crystals and chakras, and that wasn't your thing, that's not going to (laughs) work. You got to find somebody who really matches who you are in order to get somewhere. Right.
0: So, like, you know, uh, what's the saying? When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, Not everything is a nail. Right. When you have a problem, there are different tools that certain providers can bring to the table that will help you best, you know, complete the project you're looking to do. so another thing, uh, not, just, not just basic one-on-one providers, there's also uh, support groups and group therapy. I know when I was younger, um, group therapy was very helpful for me. I don't know if it's necessarily good now, although I consider our D&D group uh, somewhat group therapy. Absolutely, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm working myself with you know social interactions and stuff like that. But when I was a, a kid, um, that definitely helped me to see because I didn't know what the world was, I'm, I'm still very adolescent, very, uh, you know, woe is me, the world is, revolves around me. When I can see the problems of other people, I can concede that, you know, maybe my stuff isn't as big as it really was, and that helped me out a lot. So it isn't just solo therapy that exists out there. There's, there's a lot of different um, avenues to explore. And so, like, what are some of the things? We're in the Midwest. We uh, are in Indiana. And um, I know that mental health is viewed differently uh, across culture, across state lines. Um, it may be different, you know, wherever you are. But where, if somebody was kind of didn't know where to, to start, where would you think a good place for somebody to even begin to look um, for a therapist would be? Like, uh, right. How, right. Do, you, how yeah. do you get set up with? uh, finding those special things and even recognizing that you need that special thing.
1: So looking online, certainly if you're looking for a specific type of therapist, if you're looking for someone who specializes in trauma or someone, um, who specializes in in relationship counseling, whatever that may be. Definitely a Google search or something along those lines for your area is going to be something that's going to be helpful. One thing I would suggest, and of course this doesn't apply to everyone, but if you do have insurance, start with checking with your insurance company and finding out who is on your list of preferred providers, because that's going to narrow down your pool and keep you from adding a financial stressor to your list of concerns. um, Because it can be a daunting process to get through if you're getting um, some significant bills along the way as well. So knowing that you're choosing out of a, a list of people that are going to be more accessible to you financially is certainly helpful. Uh, but then word of mouth, you know, you can get some great suggestions just by asking friends, you know, who have you seen? Have you heard about anybody? um who who has been great for you, and that's a really good way to get um, recommendations from people who also know you, so they're gonna be able to know if someone would be a great fit for you.
0: But Jenna, I don't want to tell somebody about my problem how How am I supposed to talk to a friend about me having depression and anxiety?
1: <laughs> oh, that's a soapbox I'll spend a lot of time on. <laughs> to... One thing we need more is to talk more, but um, yes. definitely, you know, the the Google search is not a bad thing to do. There's several uh, psychology today, a couple other big sites out there that have bios, you know, or each of these sites, the providers definitely uh, subscribe and pay to have their listings on there. But you do get to see quite a bit about their background and what it is that they specialize in, what their philosophy of care is. Um, all of those sorts of things, whether they take your insurance is often on there, um, though that's always worth confirming. <laughs> and you kind of get a, a little glimpse into their background. I definitely would encourage, if you're looking for in person counseling, face to face counseling, um, that you look for practices that are close by because distance is certainly a potential barrier. Uh, But these days in the Corona world, many providers are functioning via video, face-to-face telehealth services. Um, So figuring out whether that is a comfortable option for you and exploring what each provider is able to offer right now.
0: Right. And yeah, I know that telehealth is is really big. And I don't know when things are going to start to calm down and kind of go back to what you know, quote unquote normal or what, or this is the new normal. But yeah, I, I think that, um, I definitely, I would not advise anybody to go out and just tell, you know, even new friends or whatever. It's like, Hey, um, I have schizophrenia. I have bipolar. You got to be comfortable with the people you're asking, but it should be, it should be a topic. That's not an embarrassing thing. Like the, you know, you hear all the time to remove the stigma, you know, your brain is an organ Just like your kidney, just like your liver, just like your heart. And if we're going to treat that as health, then mental health is health. It's not, I mean, it is something that's got its own specialty with with people who um, are trained to deal with it. Just like, you know, there's a proctologist for butts. (laughs) It's health and it should be okay to talk about it. And I think that the more that we explore that and are comfortable with ourselves, and we do get out there and talk to a therapist or somebody when we do have problems. It just becomes easier to be like, okay with it. Um, one of right. my my favorite podcasts, it's a, it's a true crime podcast called The Last Podcast on the Left. And it's not just true crime, but they talk about uh, conspiracy theories, you know, serial killers, aliens, cryptids, you know, things like the Jersey Devil and Bigfoot. Very entertaining, super funny show. But uh, one of the three guys, his name is Marcus Parks. He's the producer. And he does a lot of the research for the show. And he lives with bipolar disorder. And one of my all-time favorite mental health quotes comes from him. Um, he said that your mental health isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. Uh, I think when you recognize that, you know, it's, it's not your fault, but right. you have the capability of coping with and dealing with it, it, it empowers you. And mm-hmm. I've kind of really tried to focus on that, especially at this point in my life. So let's parallel that and let's bounce back to Dungeons & Dragons real quick and talk about the work that you put in before your game to help make sure that you have the best possible experience and to avoid the topics that really could cause you harm. There's an article that exists on Reddit that's a checklist of what a good Session Zero will touch on. And it covers topics in the game such as how you're going to earn experience, uh, how you're going to level up. But what we want to focus on specifically and talk about are the social contracts that we make uh, with each other when we sit down with a group of friends, and sometimes strangers who have yet to become friends. Uh, In the game of Dungeons & Dragons, there's typically one dungeon master who will be responsible for adjudicating the rules, uh, providing all the reactions of the world and the NPCs around the player characters. An NPC stands for non-player character. This could be a tavern keeper, a city soldier, or even the old crone on the side of the road who's selling her poisonous apples to unsuspecting adventurers. It's pretty fun to be the DM. You get to do all the cool voices. But then there's you, the player. There may be certain topics that can arise in the game that can make you feel uncomfortable. I know a big one for me, especially when I was fresh in my recovery, was that of alcohol and drug use. Something as simple as a character getting sloshed after a hard-fought battle could trigger me into thoughts that I didn't want to be having at the time. Now I'm okay with it, but for your players, uh, they may not be. So this may be a topic that you feel adamant about, that you want to bring up in your Session Zero. Uh, This is a perfect time to bring that up. Uh, Hopefully those that you're playing with can respect your wishes and avoid those topics. What kind of topics can you think of, Jenna, that would be good to discuss in a Session Zero?
1: So we talk about things that we want to avoid. We never know what the background of everybody who's sitting at the table is. Right. And you'll hear as a theme throughout all of our episodes, the ability to move back and forth in the worlds of therapy and mental health and gaming. So there's a lot of direct therapeutic applications to gaming. So part of that is being aware that we can affect people both positively and negatively with the things that we do. One of the ways that we work with that is, like you said, this session zero where we get together and, and say, you know what, we're going to avoid any instance of sexual harassment or sexual assault. That's just not going to happen in the game that we play. It's not going to be a part of it. We're not going to put anyone in a position where that could happen because while we may be talking about these imaginary characters, everybody's real life is their real life and what we may trigger or set off on someone could make them extremely uncomfortable and make that gaming experience not a positive one for them. So trying to identify from the get-go what topics are going to be really important as a group to avoid is a critical step.
0: Right. And and it's not just not just things to avoid. Session zero also talks about things you wish to accomplish as well. So it's not just let's lay down a laundry list of things that uh, I don't want to do. But some of those things are very important. Like you had mentioned, uh, sexual assault and um, sexual harassment. That's never cool. I do remember a time when I played and my DM kind of put me in a position where I felt very awkward, and I never went back to that game again. Uh, We didn't have a session zero. Now that I know that. Um, I know to bring that up. That's like, hey, I I want complete agency of my character, which basically means I want to control what I do. Now, if I put myself into a situation where like I get into a combat or something, that's on me. But don't tell me what my character does. I tell you what my character does. And yeah, I, I just did not feel comfortable with that. Another thing, uh, besides just like um, you know, drugs, alcohol, and sexual stuff a big hot issue right now, and it it doesn't even seem like a hot issue among um, you know the youth that's playing the game right now because they seem pretty inclusive but w- when i play when I play in my game I play with some uh, older guard d and d people who have played since like the beginning and they're very much the war gaming type type people and there's uh, I've heard it called like the token effect where Dungeons and Dragons is very much um, influenced by the the works of Tolkien, uh, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. And in that, there is certain very racist topics that in the light of fantasy and and reading like orcs are bad, goblins are bad, and that's kind of carried over. um, That's a hot-button topic right now because Wizards of the Coast, who are the current owners of the rights to Dungeons and Dragons, they're not the creators of the original format of it but they've kind of perfected it and made it into the game it is today. Well, recently, Wizards of the Coast released a statement saying, Dungeons & Dragons teaches that diversity is strength, for only a diverse group of adventurers can overcome the many challenges a D&D story presents. And in that spirit, making D&D as welcoming and inclusive as possible has moved to the forefront of their priorities over the last six years. Throughout the 50-year history of D&D, some of the peoples in the game, such as orcs and drow, Drow are dark elves, uh, black skin, live underground, but they say that orcs and drow are two of the prime examples uh, which have been characterized as monstrous and evil, using descriptions that are painfully reminiscent of how real-world ethnic groups have been and continue to be denigrated. Uh, That's just not right, and it's not something we believe in, and despite our conscious efforts to the contrary, we've allowed some of those old descriptions to reappear in the game, we recognize that to live our values, we have to do an even better job of handling these issues. And if we make mistakes, our priority is to make things right. So they're listening to their their people, they're listening to the fans, saying that you know, they disagree with how certain cultures are depicted. And this isn't just uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is just one of the intellectual properties that Wizards of the Coast deals with. They're also behind uh, Magic: The Gathering, and they've taken to uh, amending some of their cards and, and not looking at certain religious things in such a negative light, uh, using a derogatory like not saying jihad is derogatory, but using it in a, an evil sense. They recognize there's a problem with uh, you know certain racist undertones with the things and they're seeking to fix it. And they're going to be releasing a new book uh, coming out here soon. They just released an adventure called um, it's like Icewind Dale. Uh, but it's going to be a supplement that's very much like the DMG Monster Manual and Player's Handbook that gives players options to kind of break free of the old racial stereotypes and get away from that, you know, Tolkien effect of, you know, every orc is bad and evil and, um, you know, and every red dragon is evil. Because if, when you're telling stories, and one of my favorite uh, authors, I really love the, the Game of Thrones series, The Song of Ice and Fire. George R. R. Martin definitely makes it clear that everybody in that world is capable of good things and bad things, and things aren't inherently bad just because of how they were born and the color of their skin. So I think Wizards is doing a really good thing there. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is a very social thing. We, we, we talk, and I do bring a lot of current events into it. Um, like when Corona first happened, I had like... what what do we have that uh, disease that struck the Elven city and everybody was wearing masks and stuff. Um, So I know a lot of people do that. uh, And, you know, with the current climate of uh, racial tension and everything that's going on recently in America, um, the last thing we need is just to be, just to have that racism boil over into our games and hate on a bunch of orcs or something, just because they're a different race. So that's, that's another topic that could be, discussed at session zero that's that's pretty important
1: um Wizards of the Coast for realizing that and being willing to make the changes because I think it makes storytelling so much more involved and fascinating when it is more like real life when each of those characters does have depth and difference and positives and negatives and you know uh bad thoughts and good thoughts it's more like more like all of us are. So mm. you can really explore personalities with that sort of freedom.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I don't even want to use the term woke because everybody uses it as a pejorative <laughs> now, but it's very like, you know, the, the people will say all the time, it's like like making fun of it, you know, get woke, go broke. But now they went for broke and, and they said, you know, this is wrong. And we were going to fix it. And I, I think that's really awesome. I'm, I'm glad that I support a company that does that. And now it's time for the Hag's Halfway Homebrew. <laughs> this is a segment I'd like to call The Hag's Halfway Homebrew. We're about halfway through the show, and I want to give you guys a little taste of some sweet, sweet homebrew I've crafted up for my players. This week, we focus on critical strikes. There's almost no better feeling at a Dungeons & Dragons table than rolling a natural 20 on the die. You may hear us talk about nat 20s when we discuss our game. In the game of Dungeons & Dragons, there are combat phases in which your character may roll a die, and on the rare occasion when that die comes up 20, it allows for a critical blow. This means that, according to the rules, the damage dice you would normally roll to calculate damage to the enemy gets to be rolled twice. It's pretty amazing. You know what's not amazing? When you roll those bad boys and they come up snake eyes. That's right. Just like when Bard fired the Black Arrow at Smog as it was laying waste to Lake Town and hit it just in the right spot where the scales were missing, you too have found an opening in your opponent's defenses. Except when you roll two ones, it could feel like the Black Arrow was made of paper mache and it would just bounce off the dragon's fleshy underbelly. So what I do to counteract this is that I allow my players to maximize all the dice that they would roll on a normal hit, and then they would roll their critical dice. So if a great axe does a d12 of damage, you start with a 12 damage roll. This way, if you fizzle and roll a 1 on your critical roll, you still are doing 13 damage and it feels special. But it's not all fun in games. What's good for the dude is good for the dragon. If my creature rolls a natural 20, the same rules apply. So make sure you sling plenty of voodoo curses at your DM's dice to avoid an untimely critical death or a total party kill. This has been the Hag's Halfway Home brew, and now, a word from our sponsors. You know what they say, variety is the spice of life. Do you need a laugh? Do you like sports? Reminiscing about your youth with pop culture references to the 80s and 90s? The occasional fart joke? Then you should check out the Outlaw Blitz. The premier podcast brought to you by 24 Cross Media. Listen to new episodes weekly on Thursdays. Join GMAC and Winnie as they take you through the week in sports. Travel down memory lane with the GMAC throwback. And be sure to save a clean pair of underwear for the five crazy questions. This is definitely not safe for work. You can find the Outlaw Blitz on most major podcast platforms like Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to give a like and follow their page. Show the boys some love and tell them Therapy and D sent you. 1,100 miles from home, a group of outsiders show the world what it means to be an outlaw. We follow the story of a young football team as they test their mettle in one of the biggest youth football tournaments in the country. A tale of heart, perseverance, and triumph. Smoky Mountain Miracle, the Sovereignty's Outlaw Story. Relive the magic this fall. This preview is brought to you by 24 Cross Media. Alright, you dice goblins, listen up. We've got a little bit of bardic inspiration for you. Get ready to grab those dice bags and let them fly. Okay, and we're back. So this, this segment I'm going to talk about is called Bardic Inspiration. There's a class in Dungeons & Dragons called the Bard, and they inspire their friends through... Uh, heroic poems, sonnets, songs, and this is, I want to talk about things that, um, stick out to me in the D&D world. So basically this week, what I want to talk about where my bardic inspiration comes from is D&D TikTok. That's right. TikTok, the app that's on your phone that everybody's afraid is going to disappear. Over the past few months, I've spent way too much time on this app. Like I've never learned any of the dances or anything. I, I can't dance. Uh, but I got really deep into, uh, there's a couple like capuchin monkeys that I just love to watch everything they do. They play with slime and they play with their dogs. Like I'm addicted to that app, but these like, I watch monkey and dog videos. Like they're going out of style, but
1: (laughs) on the videos of the dogs where they narrate the dogs, I absolutely love them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give me chimkin nuggers. Yeah. I love them. (laughs) They're so clever. They're so fun. And I wish Vine never disappeared, but I'm glad TikTok is here. But um, so they're they're, like while, you know, learning about this app and finding these people, I found that there's this complete subculture that's called D&D TikTok. Um, There are some amazing creators that are out there that are like theater kids, um, just D&D players, uh, cosplayers, so many cool things and ideas that are out there. And I know that the future of TikTok is uncertain right now. And I'd hate to talk about this and next week it's gone. And I would hate to see these creators lose the platform because they've spent so much time doing these, like helping to build a community and helping to build their channel. And if it goes away um, and they have to find someplace else, I I encourage you to go now while you can get it. Check out D&D TikTok and these people I talk about. And then they all have like link trees and stuff where you can follow their Instagrams and stuff like that and stay Like the people that you like, you know, stay focused with them. So if something else does arise or if TikTok does, you know, work out, um, we can, you know, continue to support them because they're really cool. So, I mean, Vine disappeared how many years ago? And a lot of those people ended up coming to TikTok and getting famous again. So hopefully they can continue on and continue to make that content. Um, The content's needed. A new platform will arise. And if TikTok goes away, like we'll find a way to be nerdy somewhere because that's what we do. Um, nice. Yeah. So first person, I just came across him uh, probably about a week ago. His name is Sweet 714 This dude is hilarious. Um, he makes a lot of like anime driven D&D stuff. Like I don't, don't want to say it's anime, but he he moves and talks like an anime character with like the the over like a, like a Disney channel actor where they're like over acting. And stuff. it's it's so funny. But he has this new series that when he thought TikTok was going to go away last week. He was doing like crash course in how to get started in D&D and I thought it was awesome. And so I followed him and I hope that he continues to make stuff because he's super funny. So sweetie714, awesome, check him out. Next person I have, probably the oldest, not oldest person, but the one I followed the longest. Her name is Sarah is Coffee and um she is so good. She makes these she has these they're called OCs or original characters. That she makes, that she plays in her games, that she does, um, cosplays for makeup and and does TikToks as the characters, and they're so good, they're so well thought out. Uh, I'm not sure if her name really is Sarah, so if it's Sarah or she's just that Sarah's coffee, but she plays in some games on Twitch. So if you're into watching games and like you know uh, everybody who's big in the D and D world knows about Critical Role because they've kind of skyrocketed D and D to the forefront of you know of what it is today they've kind of set the bar of stuff but she plays in a couple games on twitch uh one is called the witches of woodside where she i think it's like a modern game where she has her own kind of warlock that she plays and they're like high school kids and uh it's it's contemporary it's not like a fantastic world i don't think she has like a, what's called a ghost in the machine warlock where she controls electronics and stuff it's really cool cool concept I love her character, but the other thing she's in is um, on on Twitch. It's called the Welcome Inn, like inn, like a tavern kind of place. At Rolling Tides. Uh, she and her party are super fun to watch, and their their uh, character they're not they're not they're just like regular folks, and they're they're so good. So I definitely want you to go check out Sarah's Coffee. Last person I want to talk about um, is uh, I don't know what his I don't want to say his. I don't know what their pronouns are because they don't list them if it's uh, he, him, they. So I'm just going to call Quincy they for now until they correct me. Um, they run something called Quincy's Tavern, and uh, they are so good at what they do. It's a, it's a cosplay. Quincy is a tavern keep that's got this steampunk um, kind of motif. And they have all these uh, amazing little baubles and stuff set up. The the set is fantastic. Um, They are also like a cook and a baker. So um, the concepts of their things are meant to be like duetted. And a duet in TikTok is where you make uh, a certain thing and then somebody has a conversation with you or does something with you. So Quincy will will be sending you on a quest or giving you uh, something to eat. And other D&D creators come in and, like, have a a conversation with the video. It's super cool, awesome concept. Um, I actually, what I love most about Quincy is they're always smiling, and they're always, like, so humble, so happy, and they love their community. Um, They're super inclusive. Uh, They talk about uh, adventures, having like, installing a wheelchair ramp and stuff. Like, the thought that they put into making sure everybody is welcome is so refreshing. Like, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with Quincy and just say, how do you, how are you so good at at this? Because it's amazing. Um, I've recently become a part of their community. On uh, They have a Discord uh, for Quincy's Tavern. Quincy's Tavern, I I believe it's actually called like the Lucky Griffin, um, but because of um, TikTok, it's Quincy's Tavern. But super fun. They're all like very inclusive, loving, helpful people and that's not something you normally see on the internet especially where anonymity is involved i've played tons of video games i'm a huge world of warcraft nerd and anytime i try to do something that involves other people um there's always jerks there's always people who just like they think that there's anonymity they can treat you like garbage everybody there is super nice and i if if you do go and check out quincy's tavern join the Discord, and become part of that community. It's truly something special. Um, That's it for Bardic Inspiration. Go support D&D TikTok. Find people that you love and tell us on Facebook um, of new people that you've found. I'm sure I've seen them because I spent a lot of time on that app, but go and see them and find people you like before it goes away, if it goes away, um, so that way we can continue to support them and help the community grow to be uh, something great. A saving throw represents an attempt to resist a spell, trap, poison, disease, or some threat. You don't normally decide when to make a saving throw, rather, you're forced to make one because your character or a monster is at risk of harm. Wisdom is one of the six attributes that characters get. Wisdom reflects how attuned you are to the world around you and represents perceptiveness and intuition. This next segment is called The Wisdom Save.
1: Today we are going to talk about the topic of suicide because September is National Suicide Prevention Month. When it comes to mental health, silence is always going to be the enemy. The more we talk, the more we normalize mental health struggles, the easier it is for everyone to get help because they feel less like they're different. They feel more like getting help for a mental health struggle is the same as getting help for diabetes or Uh, heart issues, high blood pressure, whatever the case may be. So when we look at suicide, I want to start with just some basic statistics um, that I think a lot of people just don't realize. So these come from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And as of the last year that's been analyzed, so these are all 2018 statistics, uh, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. But when we're talking about those age 10 to 24, it jumps up to the second leading cause of death, which is...
0: is As early as 10?
1: As early as 10. Yeah, I used to work in inpatient uh, psychiatry psychiatry on a youth adolescent unit. And yeah, we would see kids as young as six coming in suicidal, uh, which just blows your mind uh, when you think about it. But... Um, yeah, second leading cause of death. So, definitely something we need to be talking about, talking about early, and paying a lot of attention to. Um, in 2018, there were 48,344 Americans that died from suicide. That is out of 1.4 million suicide attempts. So, um, looking at the rates that are successful, um, amongst successful suicides, white males. Actually, account for about 70% of suicide deaths. But really interesting t- statistic for me was that women account for 75% of suicide attempts. Um, so clearly, women are far less successful at suicides. Men uh, statistically tend to use more lethal methods. So you're going to see a lot more uh, use of guns and firearms, while with women, you see higher medication overdoses or things along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um, Firearms were responsible for 51% of all suicide deaths in 2018. So what does that tell us? Lock up your guns, right? If you're going to have them, cool. I'm not going to get in that argument with you. But if you're going to have it, be safe about it. Make sure that your kids, your spouse, your friends, your dinner guest can't accidentally access that weapon and be able to use that for something other than you intended. Worldwide, we see about one suicide every 40 seconds, which is just really staggering um, when we think about it. Uh, High risk, so those who are considered more at risk for uh, attempting suicide are gonna be anyone who's diagnosed with a mental illness, Anyone who's had a prior suicide attempt, certainly those with substance abuse issues, be that alcohol or drugs, any family history of suicide actually increases risk for suicide. So uh, if you ever see someone for a psych eval or a mental health provider, uh, we're likely to ask, is anybody in your family ever attempted suicide or successfully completed? Of course, like we talked about, whether or not there's access to firearms or other lethal methods or self-harm methods. Being within the age group of 15 to 24 or above the age of 60 increases your suicide risk. But one group you're going to hear me talk a lot about, it's near and dear to my practice and a lot of the patients that I see, is LGBTQ youth. So we're talking again about that 10 to 24 age group or 5 Times more likely to attempt suicide than their heterosexual counterparts in the same age group. So if that doesn't tell us that there is life-saving importance to acceptance and welcoming attitudes and behaviors and proper use of pronouns and all of those things, I don't know how else to get that message across, but it's absolutely critical that everyone feel welcome um in in their life and in their home and everywhere that they spend time national study uh came out a couple years ago said 40% of transgender adults report having made a suicide attempt 40% of transgender adults that's almost one in two you know that's that's a huge percentage so again Acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. 92% of those made that attempt before the age of 25. So again, if you're talking about a transgender individual age 15 to 24, maybe with a diagnosed mental illness, maybe with a family history of suicide, you're looking at a a huge uh, increased likelihood or increased risk in that situation.
0: So do you think that uh, this at-risk population is the way it is I'm sure there's like multi levels to it. There's there's a lot that's going on, especially during that time of ten to twenty four, um, hormonally, and sure. then and then societally with acceptance. So like you had mentioned earlier, uh, proper use of pronouns. This is something that I cannot get, and I don't understand the lack of respect that comes from not being able to at least entertain the idea of calling somebody what, what they want to be called. If you if your name is Chris, I'm not going to call you Bob if you tell me your name is Chris. If somebody wants to have, you know, their specific pronoun, it's not difficult to res- it's, it's just mutual respect among humans. I don't understand why that's difficult. You can believe whatever you want about biology or whatever, but it's it's baffles me that that's a problem. And do you think that, like, how, because you probably, I'm not saying, like, let's break HIPAA or anything like that, but this is a big part of your practice, right? Like, you said a lot of, yeah. okay. Um, just how, how devastating is it for some of these kids to just not be respected? I, I bet it, it, like you mentioned, I bet it does play a huge part in the suicidal ideation, like, just feeling like you're less of a person because somebody can't, even treat you how you want to be treated.
1: Absolutely. I mean, if we look at age 15 to 24 to start with, I mean, with no other complicating factors, the concern about being different from other people in in that developmental time can always cause some mental health strife. But if you are more than different, if you are actively disliked, if you are actively not welcomed, if you are actively told that you are bad or you are wrong simply for being who you are, Um, that the simple act of existence is a problem. Um, That makes it really, really hard, especially if the people telling you this are your own family. I mean, they're, they're the ones that are supposed to love you the most. They're the ones that are supposed to take care of you. And love you no matter what. So when you're not accepted by your own family, the devastation is really hard to measure. I mean, I guess the closest you can get is looking at that that increased risk. But you know, I had a situation once where there's times when it's really, really hard to be the one in that caregiving role um, because sometimes you just want to jump out and be that advocate too. Um, But I had a patient being admitted to the inpatient youth adolescent unit and, you know, their parent dropped them off. They had ended up, the child adolescent had come out to them um, under duress. It was a situation where somebody said, either you tell them or I will. And the parent brought them in, uh, suicidal and dropped them off and said, I brought you here bent, you better come home straight. And, you know, if you can just put yourself in that position, the child was standing right there. And as the, you know, provider, it's really hard not to shake people, but, um, you know, you just got to realize that the best thing you can do is um, spend the time you have getting the message across to that person that things do get better when they're out of that situation that, you know, sometimes our family is not our blood. Sometimes our family is the group of people that we find that welcome us in and love us and accept us for exactly who we are. And then when you get older, you have the ability to find those groups of people and and find that world where you can truly grow and flourish um, in in exactly the ways that you want to and you are meant to. Um, But... There's there's no overstating the damage that even perceived non-acceptance of sexual orientation or gender identity can do to a person of any age, but particularly youth.
0: Right. I just want to make it clear, uh, like when I talked about Quincy, um, I because they didn't put anything on their, their site saying what their pronouns, if ever... I mentioned something or Jenna mentioned, somebody on our Facebook or in here that is not what in my bardic inspiration, that's not what you intended to, please let me know and I will fix it. Um, I, Absolutely don't, correct I don't us. intend to, to be that way. I will just, you know, I will just default to they, uh, but if you prefer something different, please let me know and I will, I will fix it and do uh, an update. So um, I don't want to, you know, I want to respect you for who you are. So please just let me know.
1: Absolutely. You're going to hear me talk in multiple episodes, I'm sure, but one of the reasons that I have such a specialty with the LGBTQ population is that um, I have an adolescent transgender daughter. So that's given a great deal of experience, both in watching her go through her transition process, but also understanding that from a parental standpoint and from an advocate standpoint and a therapist standpoint uh, gives a wide variety of different perspectives. But the pronoun thing is really quite interesting because it's also letting people know it's okay to screw up. You know, you're gonna say the wrong thing from time to time and it's totally fine. Just acknowledge it, say, oh, I'm sorry, I really screwed that up. Here's, you know, what I meant was, <laughs> right. and just move forward. Um, we don't have to be perfect. We just have to care. And we just have to try. Right. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about suicidal ideation. Um, and that's, you know, suicidal thoughts. We really want to normalize it a little bit. Um, I see people coming into my office all the time and one of the questions we ask everybody who comes in is, you know are you now or have you ever had suicidal thoughts and I see people get really nervous um, and they're afraid to say that yes they have and what they mean is that at some point they've had the thought of you know, I just wish I wasn't here, or I mm-hmm. wish I could go to sleep and not wake up, or wouldn't it be easier for everybody else if I wasn't here?
0: Yeah, it doesn't have to okay. be, I want, I have a plan, I want to do it. It's right. Just, it's just that thought of, man, it's really hard being here. I, I wonder what it'd be like if I wasn't.
1: There's a pretty small number of people that honestly haven't had that thought at some point. And so it's letting people know, hey, again, this is part of why we need to talk about things, but that's totally okay. That's normal. What we're going to ask you as mental health professionals is, have you thought about how you would do that? Uh, you know, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely do you think you are to do that? And it's one of the things that, you know, if if as a psychiatric provider or a first responder or a police officer or social worker, any of these people who are likely to encounter someone who's potentially suicidal, we have to have a way to kind of decipher whether it's that super basic thought of what would it be like if I weren't here or whether it's no, this person needs immediate help because they truly are suicidal. They've thought about how they're going to do this. They have the means to do it. You know, we got to figure out where on the scale people are, because obviously we can't be hospitalizing everybody, right? So we have to, to be able to establish that. So there's a scale called the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale. That is an excellent tool, really helps us determine when somebody has suicidal thoughts, what is their actual severity scale? How likely are they to actually follow through with that? Really valuable tool that we're seeing made into standard practice by again a lot of those who could potentially be the first one to encounter someone in that position so we want to talk about a couple of different hotlines out there there's a national suicide prevention lifeline that's the one that you probably hear publicized the most and talked about the most It's a fantastic service, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have English and Spanish speaking operators to work with you. Um, Their number is 1-800-273-8255. Interesting to note, they have an option um, for veterans specifically that can press one and they will get a care provider that is specifically versed in working with veterans. But some people don't want to talk to someone. We've got that stigma, and sometimes talking to someone by voice is scary. So we want people to know that there are options out there for text support, especially when we look at that 15 to 24 age demographic. A lot of them are much more comfortable texting someone back and forth than they are gonna be picking up a phone and making a phone call. So a couple options, crisis text line, you can text the word home, to 741-741, 247 Someone will be there to text back and forth and support you through a crisis. If you are an LGBTQ plus individual, Trevor Project is an amazing resource. If you want to text, you can text Trevor to 202-304-1200. Or if you want to call, you can call 866-488-7386. And then the last one I wanna highlight is specifically for transgender individuals. It's the Trans Lifeline. And that phone number is 877-565-8860.
0: So um, you've listed all those things. I just want to let people know but uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, that 1-800-273-TALK or uh, 1-800-273-8255, we still have all throughout September, being that it is uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, we have a donation for that specific thing, and I'm going to be matching donations up to $100. Anybody can, can come and, and donate just for you know the price of a cup of coffee. Uh, could really help save somebody's life, so I definitely you know want you to check it out. And if you're not experiencing uh, suicidal thoughts, but you may think one of your friends or family members are, what are some warning signs that we could potentially see for someone who is potentially about to prepare or even having thoughts of suicide?
1: Contemplating suicide. Sure. So we want to look for real changes in behavior, either be personality changes or Mood swings that are out of normal character for someone. Anybody who's talking about suicide that hadn't been before. Withdrawing or isolating that hadn't been before. Again, a change of character. That doesn't mean every introvert is going to commit suicide. But if you've got someone who was particularly outgoing and all of a sudden they're kind of pulling back from everything, that could be an issue. I pay attention to, you know, preoccupations with death. Certainly watch for any increases in substance use, whether that's alcohol or drugs. Um, Any increase is going to be an indicator of potentially some, you know, increased depression or anxiety stress going on in their life.
0: Plus, I think that can also uh, exacerbate any of those ideations because Absolutely. You know, alcohol and drug use can really significantly drop inhibitions. And those protective mm-hmm. factors that someone may have could be uh, completely out the window when they're you know, drunk or high. So that's something I'd be really keyed into um, alcohol Definitely. And drug
1: use. Definitely. Um, one huge indicator that people don't necessarily realize, um, but watching for someone who maybe giving away personal belongings that are special to them. You know, you may not see everything somebody's giving away, but if somebody comes to you with something of deep personal meaning to them and just like, I really want you to have this. Is it, are they definitely considering suicide? No, not definitely, but someone who is considering suicide will often gather the things that are the most important to them. And much like Will, go ahead and start handing them out to people before Uh, They intend to complete suicide. So that's a behavior to watch for saying goodbye to people um, in a way that seems a little more final than see you next time. All of those things are gonna be things to watch for. It's important to know all of those hotlines that we gave out earlier. You don't have to be someone contemplating suicide to call if you are in a crisis and need to talk to someone, or if you are worried about someone else and just wanna talk to a professional about what you should do. You too can get in contact with one of those lifelines and they will help walk you through that. Yeah. One of the biggest things, though, uh, the one of the, I guess, misconceptions out there that is the most important, I think, to kind of blow out of the water is people sort of tiptoe around the question of, are you suicidal? And what we need everyone to know is you will not make someone suicidal by asking them if they are. And tiptoeing around the question isn't always going to get the information that we need if you are concerned ask someone are you suicidal are you thinking about hurting yourself have you thought about how you might do that or when you might do that do you have access to what you would need to complete the plan that you've come up with those are very specific questions and our research shows us you're going to get pretty honest answers most of the time but you can't get the answers if you don't ask the questions so be sure that you are able to say the word. I I think a lot of us are uncomfortable addressing the topic, but it truly can be that life or death difference when one person reaches out and says, hey, you've been acting a little different, or I'm just a little worried about you. Are you doing okay? Are you suicidal? Mm -hmm. Are you thinking about hurting yourself? Um, That can be the step that gets someone the help that they need. And if you find someone that says yes to any of those questions, then certainly do not leave them alone. Um, You can call 911. You can take them to a local ER for evaluation. All ERs will do psych evaluations as needed for suicidal ideation. So uh, getting them in touch with the professionals that are, are there to truly treat them and stabilize them.
0: Right. And if there's anything that I learned from, uh, working on an inpatient unit as a nurse and psychiatric is everybody is capable of a therapeutic conversation. And these, mm-hmm. these questions, try to, to approach the topic, not at a dinner party with a whole bunch of people around, uh, uh, try and maybe like make some decent eye contact, allow good body language, uh, not to be accusatory in your questions, but these are so important to have that conversation. Um, I feel like when you come from it, from that that loving, compassionate way, people are just, they're open. It's not going to make them more suicidal. It's it's actually a big part of that Columbia scale you were talking about is really, I'm not saying people who are not professionals, I mean, shouldn't necessarily just go to use a Columbia scale. That's, you know, meant for people who are trained to use it. But, I mean, that's a big part of that is asking about suicidal thoughts and things like that. So uh, if it was a problem, it wouldn't be. Part of a, a main tool used to assess suicidality so yeah just just ask ask the question
1: i think that people underestimate the power of a simple smile or a question or, or reaching out to someone you know, who may be suicidal and you didn't know it it's so often i hear i had every intention of committing suicide that day but, but- this person smiled, or this person, um, you know, told this great joke, or this person asked me how I was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. All Those little things can truly make the difference. Right.
0: <laughs> Lastly, what I want to talk about that's not DD related I am from, you know, I was born on the West Coast, lived my whole life on the East Coast, and now I've settled in the Midwest. I hope that someday this reaches far across the United States or maybe even the globe, who knows? But I have a really an old friend, a childhood friend who's a marine. Him and a couple of his buddies are they're currently kayaking down the Hudson River. I don't know how long they're going, but every day they're stopping at cities, you know, going down with it. I think they're in their like their fatigues or whatever, and they got their American flags. And they're trying to bring to light veteran suicide. Uh, you can find their Facebook group, uh, their page. It's called Hudson Valley Center for Veteran Reintegration. Uh, it's something that's so amazing. Uh, it was it was brought up on the outlaw blitz on last thursday and i I went and looked into it i haven't talked to this friend in such a long time but i just want to let you know if you're listening matt uh we call him baber (laughs) because we played little league ball together and uh, when he was nine years old he called his shot just like the babe and hit a home run (laughs) in practice so baber uh if you're listening to this i just want to let you know that we're proud of you um and you and your friends are are real heroes and we thank you for your service and everything you do so what you're doing is amazing and, and we love
1: you bud Definitely. Thank you. Uh, Also, I want to say check out our social media channels. That's going to be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Discord. I'll be posting some information on an upcoming virtual walk slash run that's going to be raising funds for suicide prevention. I've started a team, and obviously, the more members we have, the bigger a difference we can make. Uh, I will say, fear not. Running is not a requirement. Thank you. I'm sure we will talk about coping skills a lot over the next episodes, but... You'll learn that if something's not chasing me, I am not running, but you can walk. It does not all have to be done at once, but the idea is to go out and complete the distance over a one-week period in October, and uh, there'll be details on the Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter. Anybody who wants to participate, you would be very welcome to join us.
0: So we value your feedback. We want to hear what you guys think. Did the topics touch on what we said they were going to touch on? Please communicate with us. We are open for channels of communication on the Facebook and and Instagram and all that stuff. Uh, We have a Discord that will be linked up on our Facebook. We want to you know make sure that we're we're reaching people and most importantly we want to make sure that we're helping people if you can help boost this signal we'd really appreciate it so for this episode we're complete and i hope you enjoyed it uh, next time on therapy and d we're going to talk about building your character uh, how do you get started creating your very first player character and also how do you work on yourself between therapy sessions and and how to stay honest with yourself and keep your goals that you set out with we're looking to, to come through on mondays i'm not sure if we'll be able to release next monday we're going to try But once we get a schedule down, we're going to try to release on Mondays uh, and we'll get some interviews and stuff for, for you too. For Therapy and D, I'm Zach. And I'm Jenna. And you've been granted inspiration.
1: Now go and live your life with Advantage.
0: Therapy and D Podcast is a 24 Cross Media Production.